In the world of travel, things are constantly changing. There's always something to learn about the places we go. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Destinations Beyond Expectations, a podcast designed for students of travel. Hello and welcome to DBE. This is your host, Stevie G. Before we get into this week's episode, I want to remind everybody that if you haven't hit the follow or subscribe button yet on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you are listening, please do so. It helps the podcast grow so we can reach more students of travel. And speaking of Stitcher, I want to read two quick five-star reviews that people have left on Stitcher. Dr. Collins writes, the sound quality on the show is incredible and it truly makes you feel like you are there. And Cameron from Queens writes, I love this podcast and all the locations that have been covered. Right now, travel isn't really possible with COVID, but DBE is getting me excited for the day when I can travel. I will be ready thanks to Destinations Beyond Expectations. Thank you so much to the both of you for those reviews. It is greatly appreciated. If you can't get enough of Destinations Beyond Expectations, go check out the website, dbetravel.com, where you will find the podcast library, insightful travel blogs, a link to support the show through Patreon, and more. My guest today is Ritha Charette. Now, Ritha is an adventure guide, a travel writer, and an all-around travel enthusiast. So it was no surprise to me that we had a really great conversation. In fact, we covered so much that this is going to be a two-part episode with part two airing next week. All right, here is part one of my interview with Ritha. Ritha, thank you so much for coming on and hanging out on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Hey, thanks for having me, Stephen. So you are an adventure guide and a writer. Um, I guess I want to start with uh, adventure guide. Tell me, what what does an adventure guide do? Oh, so much. <laughs> um I work with uh, two different women's travel companies, one which is very adventure-based, and that's Woe Travel, and the other is um, very cultural-based, and that's Damesley. And um, I do a little bit – I do different things for different companies. So with the the adventure travel company, we work with local outfitters because a lot of the hiking we do is at altitude. Um, So it's best to have – Local working with locals, which not only stimulates the economy in that area, but it also um, provides extra help for us in an emergency. Um, so I work with local local outfitters, um, I, but I also I'm really there for clients as well. I do a lot of um, answering questions before the trip for clients, um, and then on the ground, I'm I'm I serve as a really big support system there, and then I also when I go to destinations, no matter what company I'm working for, I do a lot of, um, I read a lot of books. I, because I've gone to like, for example, I've gone to Peru like five times now. Um, and it's, and it's been the same trip, which I, it's one of my favorite trips ever. Um, so like the local guide that we work with, her name's Elizabeth. 
Um, she is absolutely fantastic. And we've um, be- become friends. And because of that, um, she's taught me a lot about like the local history of where we go and a lot of like flora and fauna because we hike there. So I'm learning a lot about that. And so both she and I can give information to clients, which I think really solidifies us being a team. Um, and no matter who you're hiking with, you can give information like that, which is fantastic. Um, and the same thing goes for Cuba and with the other company that I work with. I've been there a couple times now and we always work with the same outfitter and our local guide is absolutely fantastic. She is just so she is able to answer so many questions about Cuba because especially for people that live in the United States, um, Cuba is a destination that is difficult to get to because no one really knows. It's hard to figure out how you can get there, especially cons- considering regulations have been changing within the past like eight years. Right. Um, so and b- because the U.S. has had kind of a tumultuous relationship. So it's a lot about giving information, supporting um supporting clients, you know, helping them to avoid scams no matter where you go, um, and just creating a really positive, great experience. That is really, really cool. So I guess, how did you get into this? And how would somebody who's like a travel enthusiast that might want to go into this line of work, how would they get into it? Um, I got into it by complete accident. (laughs) (laughs) I, um, I was going through a divorce. Um, and I spontaneously decided to climb Mount Kilimanjaro. Um, my tent mate that I was paired up with on that trip and my now friend Laura met um, one of the co-founders of, of, the com- of one of the companies I work for in line getting her visa in Tanzania. Um, we then decided to go on a trip with them the following year. And the year after that, um, I was hired to work with them. And then through working with them and through the women's travel community isn't huge. Um, so when you go to conferences and you, and you start meeting all of these women, we're very like interconnected. And like, if you don't know someone, there's like a two or three degree separation between them and someone that you do know. Um, and I was able to meet my other boss, um, who owns Damesley and, um, at a conference that she runs. And then a year later, we happened to be on the same ship to Antarctica together and connected and became friends that way. Um, so it just kind of happened. Um, and I like before all of this, I have tons of hiking experience. I've worked with people, I've worked in education. Um, so my, my skill set just kind of works for working with people working with people sometimes in high stress situations and just really having a passion for travel and education. So I got, I mean, it was a total accident. (laughs) Yeah. I think a lot of people in the travel industry, uh, don't get there. Like it's kind of, they fall upon a job or they get there by accident somehow. I think it's, that's just how it goes for a lot of people in travel. Um, I guess so true. So, so true. Yeah, definitely. Um, you, I guess you you said that your company, the companies that you work for do travel specifically for women. Um, Can you talk about that a little bit? I mean, maybe as far as like women's safety when it comes to traveling, um, how unfortunately in the world we live in, it it might not be safe to go on your own and it might be safer to go with a group. Can you talk about your thoughts on that a little bit? 
I, I, with, that's a really big topic in the women's travel community. And I, I think you're only as safe as you prepare to be. I mean, I don't think there's uh, any destination that's really off limits to women traveling solo, but I think, um, as a, as a woman that now travels solo quite a bit, when I was first getting into it, I was a bit nervous because of the, of the things that are out there in the world, like the stigma of a woman traveling solo. And I think getting into that um, and starting to travel, it is just, it's more of a comfort level, you know? It's starting to travel with a group of women. And, you know, I've created so many amazing um, relationships all over the world because of those trips. But now I have the confidence to be like, okay, I can, I can go by myself. And I, I really think that, between, you know, building women's confidences um, and like for Damesley, we go to places that are seen specifically as places that are difficult to travel for women. Um, and I think that opens those places up to women that are nervous about going alone. And then for the hiking, uh, for woe travel, for hiking, I mean, getting to some of these destinations and being able to afford to hire a guide all by yourself. Um, can be very, very challenging as well. So when you go as a group, you're not only hiking with a bunch of women, and it's a very, very supportive environment. Um, you're opening it up to people that might not have been able to afford to go where they have to hire a guide and an entire crew to go by themselves. So I think it's a, it's a little bit of everything that really makes traveling in an all-female community very, very special. Yeah, and... and um... You kind of alluded to it a little bit, but I, I kind of want to get into this a little bit more. Um, what are some benefits to somebody using a travel company like Dames? My bad, that's actually Damesley or Woe Travel or maybe a different uh, travel company. What are some benefits to somebody going out and, and going to travel through a company like that? Um, I, think there, I think it depends on the company. I mean, not... If you and I were to look at a bunch of different travel companies, we would probably find companies that suit us better. There are really, really big companies that have like really cookie cutter um, trips that only go to like high traffic destinations. Um, and what I love about uh, the companies that I work for, well, some of the times we go to high um, high travel destinations like we go to Peru, but we don't hike the Inca Trail. We hike the Salcante, which is much more remote. We don't see that many people, um, and that makes it a more special um, trip. And like in Peru, the woman that we work with as an outfitter, she owns the company. Like women in Peru do not own their own businesses mm. like traditionally. So we try and support women, and this goes for both organizations. We try and support women in the destinations that we go to um, that, you know, they're not traditionally working in those, those, you know, in travel. Yeah. Um, like for when we climb Kilimanjaro, we work with a company that has women working with them on the trail. And you don't see that many women on the trail. So I hiked Kilimanjaro for the second time last March and we had six women on our crew Granted, it was a crew of 100, but most crews on the mountain don't have any women working for them. So it's just something special when it comes to to traveling as an all-women's travel company. And, you know, not everyone has time to plan travel. 
they might have the money to plan tra- to go and travel. But like I've I've met people. I mean, I have so many friends now from all these trips that are doctors and ER nurses, and they just work in high stress situations where they're constantly on the go. So they don't have time to plan their travel. But if they have a company that they trust and they know is going to have a really good time, it's going to support local people, and it's going to have a focus specifically for what I do on supporting local women. I mean, that's just a no brainer for them to be like, this is going to work for me. I know I'm going to show up and I'm going to have a great time and it's going to be special and fun. And I'm going to be surrounded by like minded people. Yeah. Um, And I think being surrounded by like minded people is something that can really enhance a trip. And um, I guess how many how many people typically when you're guiding a group um, how, I guess, how big typically are the groups that you're in charge of? Um, honestly, I mean, I've had larger groups, um, but I'm not the only travel, the adventure guide on the trip. So there'll be like two, two others with me. So three total, but I would say on average, it's about 12 people. So it's a really small, intimate group. Um, and when it's like you, when it's myself and a local guide, um, it's really easy to answer questions and ha- and give that perspective of I live here and I've been here several times and this is what I see and this is how things are a little bit different. So it just everybody is it's it's it's, it's a smaller group situation, especially when we go on like like if we're in a city and we go on a city tour. Like if you go on a city tour on your own, there's going to be like 25, 30 people. So like you might not hear the guide. You might not be able to ask all the questions you want to ask. But with a smaller group, you are. And I feel like that's so beneficial for learning about a destination. Yeah. Now, you've mentioned uh, Peru and and hiking Mount Kilimanjaro. What are some other highlights uh, of places that you visited uh, through through your work? Um. I went to Japan for the first time last September, and it is now my favorite country. I was there. Um, one of the great things about working for a travel company is that you can get there early or stay late. Mm-hmm. So I've been so lucky to be able to explore these destinations completely different each time I go. Yes, the trip is usually the same, um, but I will be able to see things differently each time. Um, because I get there early and with, and with Japan, I was there like a week and a half before my trip started. So I was able to climb Mount Fuji, which wasn't on my trip. Um, which is so much fun. I, um, last October, September. Yeah. After literally I left Japan and went to Germany. Um, and I went to Oktoberfest for the first time because we hike, bike, and go to Oktoberfest in Bavaria. And um, I was a, I led that two trips back to back there. And Oktoberfest is like the biggest, best party that I have ever been to. And I'm so sad. I was supposed to lead the trip there this year. And I'm so sad that, um, that I don't get to go. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Because it was just so much fun. Um, I, I go to Cuba quite a bit. Um, I was supposed to go to Morocco in September and while Morocco is open right now, um, it's so hard to get there because we can't transit through the EU, Mm. um, which is kind of a bummer. Um, and actually that was going to be my first time in Morocco, which is going to be very exciting. 
Um, Egypt is a really great destination of mine. Um, yeah, we just, we we're always adding new and different trips. So if things go well, I'll be going to Patagonia and hiking in Patagonia in March, um, and going to Bhutan next year. Um, just so many really great destinations that, um, I'm so, so lucky to get to explore, but Japan, Germany, and Peru are definitely my favorites so far. That is so cool. Now, when you go to a new place, do you typically do a lot of research about that place or do you get on the ground and then kind of figure it out as you go? What's your methodology for that? I do a little bit of both. Um, If I'm going to a new destination, I always get there about a week, week and a half beforehand so I can really explore because sometimes we have clients that show up early too. Mm -hmm. Um, And most of the time we do airport pickups. So if they're there early and I'm there and I got there a week and a half before, um, you know, I can kind of take them around and be like, oh, I was going to go to this really cool place. I've never been there. Do you want to explore it together? Um, And that's always really fun. In Japan, um, I met a girl named Chelsea who's a really good friend of mine. Actually, we we went to Tokyo Disney uh, and met in line there. Wow. (laughs) And we had a great day at Disney. (laughs) Um, And then from there, we we went exploring the following day with a friend of mine that was coming on the trip. And we went exploring in the outskirts of Tokyo to find um, this cat temple. And we had never been there. And it was just a really great exploration opportunity, which is so much fun. But I also read a lot of books um, because um, we we have uh, pre-existing relationships um, and even if they're new with with local guides, I always ask them, like, you know, do you know any documentaries? Do you know any books that I should read before I get to a destination that will give me a better feel and that will give me some, maybe some history about things as well? Very cool. Now, what are some challenges that you might face as a guide? What are some hard aspects of the job that uh, people might not think of right away? People that are never satisfied. <laughs> for me that that's that's no that's so so hard like because I no matter where I travel whether I'm in a group or I'm with a friend or I'm by myself I try not to go in with expectations about how I think it's going to be mm. and I know that's really hard I mean it, it, it's still hard for me but like when you go somewhere and you know you show up to a hotel and there's no towels I've literally had clients like be like there's no towels in my room and you know for me, it's like, oh, I'm just going to call the front desk and we can get towels. But, like, some people just don't think about that. And, like, you know, working – I've had clients where, like, I'm working at, I'm, I'm working so hard for them and I am exhausted and there's literally nothing that I can do to make them happy. I mean, I can give them a million, a million pieces of information. I can, like, you know, change the itinerary a little bit to add something in that they wanted to do more than anything and they're still not satisfied. Um, and that for me is extremely frustrating because, you know, every place you go is so different. Like you, when you go to Cuba, like you're literally going back in time. Mm-hmm. All the cars are old. Not all the cars have air conditioning. Like a lot of places you go, there aren't toilet seats. Like you go to China um, and you're using, or in, or, um, you know, Tanzania and they're all squat toilets and p- 
people that that can't really like take things at face value and appreciate that like you're in an amazing destination that for me is is the biggest the biggest challenge like trying to show them that they're lucky to be there and that this experience is really special and that not everyone gets to see this side of the world yeah I, that's I, really hard yeah and I totally get where you're coming from and I I kind of see it the same way and you know actually I think travel's cool because if you keep traveling, then you get a, a bigger perspective of how people live across the world. And maybe um, you don't go in with those harsh or not harsh, but uh, big expectations of what a place might be. Um, I guess what advice would you give to somebody who might not be satisfied with a different place in the world or a different country? What I guess what advice would you give them to prepare them, I guess? Um, oh, that's a really tough question. Um, don't expect things to be the same from, from where you are, um, and be flexible with people. And this goes regardless of whether you're with a group, you're traveling with family or friends, or you're going by yourself. Um, I've been on one of the trips where I was traveling solo. I don't remember where this was in the world, but I was on like a city tour. Um, and the guide had a really thick accent and there was this woman in the group that she's like, I, she was getting so, she was so rude and it made me so upset. I can't understand you. Well, I mean, he, he's trying Mm -hmm. like, you know, he's, he learned English. English is not the first language in this country. Um, and the fact that she was just getting frustrated that she, couldn't understand him in my mind it just goes to well why don't you know his language yeah no you, I mean you're, you're not supposed to be able to travel and understand everyone perfectly um and it's just I think being flexible and understanding that like you're a visitor mm-hmm. I mean things don't need to be tailored to perfection for you you don't live here um sorry I get, I get really upset when it comes to things like this because I feel like, and I feel like this is a very like American thing. Like mm-hmm. we expect the world to be tailored to us and the way that we see things. And, and I'm not saying this because, you know, I think all Americans are like this. I've just had a lot of interactions with Americans, you know, be, living here and abroad that like we're very particular and we want things to be the way that we want them. But like the world doesn't work that way. And the more you travel, the more you, like you said, the more you travel, the more you understand that and the more you see how other people live. Yeah. And, and I think I totally get your passion where you're, you're coming from. And I agree. I mean, I think a lot of times we can be better guests, you know, when we go somewhere where we can be better guests. Would you agree? Yeah. Yes. 100%. And I, and I, like I said, I don't think everyone is like this. Mm-hmm. And I think when, um, when you first start traveling, it's really easy to be like that, right? I feel like there were instances when, when I first started traveling where, I mean, I, I've never been rude because I really, it really puts me off when people are rude to others, regardless of whether you're at home or traveling. Yeah. Um, but like, I, I definitely feel like I was like that where I, where I showed up place and I was like, well, this isn't the way that I thought it was going to be. Um, and, um, you know, it's just, it's being able to have more understanding 
to be more patient, to realize maybe the places that I am going to don't have the things that we have at home or like their culture is just their, their culture is just completely different. Um, I, I think a great example that's also kind of funny is Japanese toilets. Japanese toilets are the craziest things that I have <laughs> ever encountered. Like I sat down on one, like the night that I got to Tokyo and I was exhausted and I was jet lagged. I had a direct flight from LA and I sat on the toilet and it was hot and I like sat down and immediately jumped up. I was like, Oh my gosh, <laughs> because I didn't expect it. And I think, but as soon as I, I realized that it was hot for a reason, like I think that when you, when you travel and you realize things are different coming at it from a place of learning, asking questions and like wanting to understand things is better. Mm-hmm. Not that I ever understood anything about Japanese toilets because all the buttons are in Japanese. So like I'd be just in there like pressing buttons to see what would happen. <laughs> yeah. Weird things happened. Um, <laughs> but coming, coming from like when you're learning about travel and you're coming to a new place, come at it from learning how a Japanese toilet works. Like ask questions, press buttons, see what happens. Yep. And I think, uh, and also to add to that, I think just because it's different, different does not mean bad. Different just means no, different. No, 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 no. Um, so you you have done some traveling on your own. When did you get into that and um, talk about, like, I guess, traveling on your own? What experiences have you had? Traveling alone, um, I think, really teaches you to be self-reliant. You know, does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. There's not people it, to bail um, you out at every corner if you get in trouble. I mean, you kind of got to figure things out for your for your own in a lot of cases. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, you don't have that friend to look to. or You don't have that guide to look to. Um, I mean, I've I had some really interesting experiences. I keep going back to Japan because I just, I just love it so, so much. And I've been thinking about it a lot because... Uh, I was supposed to go there in April to lead another trip and I was going to be there for like two weeks by myself. Um, I'm just telling you, Japan is amazing. I I was probably Japanese in a past life, which is why I love (laughs) it so much. Yeah. Um, And just like a lot of people don't speak English. And I mean, I tried to learn basic Japanese. Like I can, I can do some really simple things. Um, please don't quote me on that. Don't ask me <laughs> to do anything. Cause right now my brain is not working yet, but, um, just like trying to get people to understand you or be understood by, or understand the people that are talking to you. I mean, it goes both ways, uh, is so challenging when you're totally lost. And I was, I was trying to find this really famous fish market one early, early one morning and they sell like the giant bluefin tunas. And, um, I had no idea where I was going and I, I actually eventually found the place where it was, but apparently it is in a different place now. So like the original place I found, walked around, ate some weird things and I didn't know what they were. Um, when I ran into this Japanese lady uh, at a stall and she was just like trying to get me to eat things and I just kept eating. I don't even know what I ate. <laughs> um, but being lost in, in another country when you don't speak the language is, terrifying and entertaining and just really weird all at the same time. So just, just realizing that like, you're going to be okay. You know, I mean, 
I know there's like scary things that happen all over the world and like realizing like putting safety measures, um, you know, in order before you leave and just, you know, texting family every night or there's all kinds of little devices that you can have to let your family know where you are. Um, but just realizing that like most people in the world aren't bad people. They're like getting up every morning just like you. They're trying to make money to like support their families and they're just trying to live life. So when you go visit places, like not everyone is trying to trying to scam you, mm-hmm. you know? And some people are just like they want you to explore their culture and have a good time. And kind of, you know, knowing the warning signs of like when something is unsafe and when someone is just trying to be kind is really um, you know, it, that, and that's a, that's a learning curve. Like there's no like guidebook for that. Yeah. <laughs> um, you're just trying to figure things out, but really just, you know, diving in feet first, having a good time and, um, you know, having safety measures in place with family at home, just let them know that you're okay and you're having a good time. And is it nice when you travel on your own that you have that freedom? Because a lot of times when you're in a group or even if you're just with one other person, there's compromise, right? Like if, if, you know, you wanted to go somewhere and explore early in the morning, but whoever you're traveling with wanted to sleep in, you know, there's going to have to be some compromise, things like that. But when you're on your own, you have like total freedom, right? You can just, you can do whatever you want. Yeah. And and I, like I said, I've, I've traveled in all different ways and there's positives and negatives to all of them. Um, well, when it comes to solo travel, the biggest issue that I have is trying to find someone to put sunscreen on my back. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Um, seriously. And maybe, like, if I want a nice picture, because let's be honest, like, not everyone knows how to take a photo. And some people are just kind of aggravated when you ask them. <laughs> right. So, I mean, those are the two biggest issues. Like, if you're un- like when I was in London uh, last March, um, I really wanted a picture in front of Tower Bridge. London is a destination that I've always wanted to go to. And it was my first time there. And I definitely had to ask like four people because like there was a thumb in a picture and then like it was totally off centered, like silly, some like, but that's like a silly, ridiculous thing that you don't need really need to worry about. And if you don't get your picture, I mean, oh, well, you know? Yeah. But the sunscreen in the back is a, is a real struggle. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you could be like me the other weekend I went out and I tried to put, I'm in Florida, so I tried to put some on my back. And uh, it didn't go great. There is some like <laughs> weird finger marks there, but but yeah. So I guess uh, one one other thing when it comes to solo travel, and I know you talked about this a little bit, but I just kind of maybe want to circle back to it. For somebody who's traveling on their own, maybe for the first time, what advice would you give them as far as like safety safety measures they should take to make sure that they're safe and they're confident that they're going to have a a safe, fun trip. There's a couple different things. Um, for, for people that are traveling solo for the first time, I usually encourage them to either go to a place within their own country, which is always good. Like you feel comfortable, right? Like, you know, you're like home kind of, um, And, like, go somewhere where maybe they speak the language that you speak if you're particularly nervous about, um, you know, being able to communicate with people. Um, Have, like I said earlier, have a plan in place with people at home that, like, you know, I'm going to check in with you, you know, a couple times a day or, like, send me a text message. Um, There's a bunch of different devices. I know that you can um, 
that you can get. I don't have any. I'm a very light packer as mm-hmm. much as possible. So carrying like an extra device that like tracks me for GPS is not something that I personally do, but I know that those are out there for people that feel like they need it. Um, and I think one of the best things is to, uh, do a lot of research about the area that you're going to stay in. Um, you know, make sure when I was in London last year, I was by myself. Um, and I stayed in an area where I kind of like knew what was around me. And I did a lot of research for that. Um, I'm a big hostel fan because, and I usually stay in rooms with multiple people. Um, and I, I like to stay in the all female rooms cause like women just kind of like get the sense of like, you know, I'm going to tell you where I'm going today. And if I don't come back later, like maybe you'll say something, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Yeah. And I, I really start trying to start conversations with the women that I, that are in my room with me because, you know, there was one woman that like one night didn't come back, but she came back the next morning and we had a conversation the night before she goes, sorry, I ended up with a friend and like we ended up at this party and all this crazy stuff happened. Um, but she knew that if I didn't see her, I was going to tell the people at the hospital hostel that this woman didn't come back. Yeah. Um, and just like really connecting with people, um, in the area that you're in as much as possible, even if it's like the front person, the front desk of your hotel or at your hostel. Um, and uh, leaving an itinerary for your family, I think, um, not only is a good idea for you, but it's a good, it, it, it helps them feel like they know where you are, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and I'm a big fan of staying in the same place for the first time you go on a, on a trip. Um, so like staying at the same hotel, um, or staying in the same place for multiple days, as opposed to like constantly moving is another one. Yeah. And maybe too, I mean, you said leaving an itinerary for your family. Do you ever check in with them just like via text or Facebook message or like, is that something you do as a safety precaution? Yes. I, um, I try and check in, um, with my boyfriend once a day. Um, and like, I'll send him like a photo, um, or anything. Um, that way, not that he like really, the thing the thing with my boyfriend is that like he doesn't know what's going on in the world because he's very disconnected from the internet, mm-hmm. um, which is hilarious because I like work on the internet. <laughs> um, so like one time, oh, where was I? I was somewhere, and then not far away there was like a, an earthquake. Oh, I was in the Galapagos, and um, somewhere in Ecuador when I was there, there was an earthquake, and I like texted him. I was like, hey, don't worry, like. I'm not anywhere near where the earthquake is. And he goes, where was there an earthquake? So like your family's not connected. Like, geez, <laughs> I yeah. could like be dead in a ditch somewhere and he like wouldn't know. <laughs> right. But at least you're checking in with him when you have to. Yeah. I mean, but, but it's super funny at the same time. Like we went to Iceland a few years ago. I took him there. It was the first time he'd really been out of the United States. Oh, Iceland and, is great. Uh, I love Iceland. Iceland is a really, really cool place. And uh, we were in Reykjavik, and there was this uh, museum that I wanted to go to, but he did not adjust to the time change via jet lag. Um, this is an example of someone that like was very challenging for me to travel with because mm-hmm. he didn't adjust. And uh, I woke up super early one morning, and I was like, hey, I'm going to go walk around, and then I'm going to go to this museum. And he's like, are you going to be okay? And I was like, you realize I travel by myself 
all the time <laughs> and you're not in the country and you don't even know what's going on in that country. It was a really cute and funny thing that happened while we were traveling together. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Iceland has some great museums for sure. Um, and I, actually, I want to rewind really quick because you said you were in the Galapagos. That is so yes. cool. Can you tell me about that a little bit? That is one of like my bucket list things. I really want to get oh, there one day. It was so awesome. I went there. I wish I could like send you a bunch of like blog links um, to like all the stuff that I did while I was there. But like it happened so long before I was a blogger that like I don't even know. I couldn't even give a ton of information about it anymore. But it was spectacular. Um, I had to work like so many extra hours to make that happen. And I did like an island hopping situation where I was on three different islands. Um, I went swimming with sharks. I went snorkeling one day and like a sea lion swam up to me randomly. I got to swim with turtles. Um, we climbed up to this, the edge of this volcano and, uh, the one of the guides that I was with, he was super excited because all the guides there like are connected. The islands aren't that big. And, um, well, there's not, many, there's not that many people there. And, um, there was like this text chain going on with all of them. Cause, um, a volcano started erupting on one of the smaller islands. And when we were on the rim of this volcano, like off in the distance, you could see it like smoldering and smoke and stuff. It was super cool. But yeah, if, if you're a traveler, like you need to go to the Galapagos. It is so cool. The tortoises are awesome. And they're like, there's so many efforts going on there to like help them survive. Um, I saw so many baby tortoises just eating Aww. so many little green leaves and they make this like nom, 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 nom sound Aww. when there's like hundreds of them eating. It's so cool. <laughs> oh my gosh. I need to go. Like that is a bucket list thing for me. Thank you for listening to part one of my interview with Retha. Now we get into this next week, but you can learn more about Retha at her website, roamingnanny.com. And you can follow her on Instagram at roamingnanny. Don't forget Destinations Beyond Expectations also has an Instagram if you want to give us a follow there. And DBE is on Facebook if you want to give us a like there. I hope you enjoyed this week's show. Retha will be back to cover some more interesting travel topics on the next show. That is all I've got for this week. Have a great day, and I will talk to you soon. Destinations Beyond Expectations is brought to you by Kaleidoscope Adventures. If you need help planning your next student group trip, Kaleidoscope Adventures is the name you need to know. Visit them at www.mykatrip.com or give them a call at 800-774-7337 when you're ready to plan your next school trip. Again, that's www.mykatrip.com or call them at 800-774-7337.